since before recorded time. It had swung through the universe in an elliptical orbit so large that its very existence remained a secret of time and space. But now, in the last few years of the 20th century, the visitor was returning. The citizens of Earth would get an extra Christmas present this year as their planet orbited through the tail of the comet. Scientists predicted a light show of stellar proportions, something not seen on Earth for 65 million years. Indeed, not since the time that the dinosaurs disappeared, virtually overnight. There were a few who saw this as more than just a coincidence. But most didn't. installment of TerraVision. I am Ben Hansen, broadcasting out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hello, this is Brad Pearson in New York. Toby Jones in Matt in... in... Madeline Carrieville, next to Toby Jones, spiritually. Toby, were you going to say I'm Toby Jones and I'm in Maddie? Because <laughs> that's what I was thinking. From Maddie Studios in Los Angeles. I don't even know what that was. Actually, I wasn't even going to suck. I'm Alex Horrible, and I'm in Fargo. And tonight, and by tonight I mean this afternoon, we will be talking about a little 1985 movie we like to call Night of the Comet, which was first discovered by uh, Alex Horb. Could you inform us about that? Well, one, we don't like to call it Night of the Comet. It is Night of the Comet. Uh, and two, <laughs> I'll get to that. And two, the reason I found out about it is because I was playing old... Uh, well, I mean, it's not even like I found out about it. This isn't a super underground film. It has a pretty reasonable cult following. But the reason I introduced the people is because I was looking, I was playing Tempest online, which is an old arcade game. And I just started reading about it, in which point I found out that it was in a movie called Night of the Combat, to which I find out, found down, but I rented it, uh, and then I watched it, uh, and then I think I told Ben to watch it. And then, uh, that was years ago, so I don't know how it came back now. And Tempest was that, that uh, arcade game from the 80s that was notorious for causing seizures, wasn't it? Hoy! I believe so. Which is because yeah, I just I had it on my computer and like on like a Windows ninety five when I was like way young. My dad downloaded it for me and I played it all the time. All right, so Night of the Comet is a uh, little movie from nineteen eighty four, as it turns out. I was almost gonna say eighty five. And uh, let's see here. It was directed by a very bizarre uh, person with a very bizarre career named. Thom? It's T-H-O-M. Tom. It's Tom. Oh, that's just Tom? Just Tom. Tom, you are a Radiohead. Right. <laughs> Tom. T- Tom Everhart, who previously directed um, Soul Survivor and then directed another, uh, which was another low-budget horror movie. Uh, he directed The Night Before, which I'm going to send you guys a screen, or a, um, the cover of. Uh, over I read about that. I was going to ask if you guys had ever heard of that. Uh, it's kind of, but no, more importantly for this, for this audience, he, he goes on to direct Gross Anatomy, which I think got some series, but he directed the pilot of Parker Lewis Can't Lose. What? What? <laughs> That's not true. What? That is true. 
You guys are missing something very important about Tom Everhart's career. No, 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 no. I was going to get to that. The dessert is that he... Go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) The big dessert is that he directed Captain Ron. Captain Ron. He directed Captain Ron. Uh, Maddie and I recently were watching the commentary track on the first episode of Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Yes, we were sitting down watching the first episode of Parker Lewis Can't Lose with commentary. And they were commenting on how the director wasn't being wacky and crazy enough for their taste. And they really, after the pilot, they really wanted to start making it a much crazier looking show. And now that, you know, now, now that I think about it... You know, also, Mila Jovovich is in the first. Uh, this, is like, well, this is like the second or third television that we've been able to reference back to Parker Lewis. Yeah, like directly, Here's too. Pain Cow was in... Uh, was he in Chopping Mall and yeah, in, he's in Terrorvision? Chopping Mall and Terrorvision. Yep. And in this case, we have, uh, of course, Mary Warnock. Mary Warnock. Both of those movies, and in, she does have an appearance in one episode of Parker Lewis as well. Uh, oh. so, and in my confusion, in my continuing confusion with how Hollywood works, he directs Captain Ron, which is, of course, a legendary bomb with uh, Kurt Russell in 1992, and then doesn't direct a movie that gets released theatrically until 2007. He gets to direct Naked Fear, which I've never heard of, but has a poster that looks relatively professional. How does Hollywood work? Oh, well, 15 years ago, <laughs> oh, this guy directed Captain Ron. You wanna wanna have him helm this movie we got in 2007? Yeah, I think so. Has he done anything? Like a guy who like hunts girls. Yeah, I, uh, it's like the most dangerous game. I mean, great, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't understand. Anyway, before we get too ahead of ourselves here, um, let's see. Brad, do you want to take a thwack at uh, describing the plot of this movie for our viewers at home? Yes. Uh, Night of the Comets involves, obviously, a comet that comes in, in the middle of the night in, uh, sometime in December and uh, happens to vaporize everybody on Earth except for a few sole survivors who happen to be valley girls. Uh, living in San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles. Everybody else who wasn't vaporized is slowly turning into uh, an insane flesh-eating zombie that can talk and say, Comer! <laughs> uh, then they go on a madcap adventure. They do indeed, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, I, I know it when the movie first started, there's uh, the one of the... One of the teenage girls is, of course, porking with her boyfriend, as all good as all good horror movie characters do at the beginning, before the terror starts. Uh, however, she does mm-hmm. not get her comeuppance for porking, which is great. Which is an egg. Yep. Yeah. And fifteen dollars. <laughs> uh, it's also notable. Uh, horror, horror was mentioning this before how our uh, our teenage heroes, who are Valley girls, but they're also they're also kind of tough without being uh, without like overcompensating for it. And, uh, yeah. I noticed when I was watching the second time around, there's a conversation where she has with, um, about Superman's powers with her boyfriend. You want to know what bugs me about all this? What? Well, I'm always afraid someone's going to see us, you know? See us how? There's no windows that can't see through walls. Well, Superman can see through walls. Um, for their porking that night, and uh, which she is, you know, proven to be nerdier than he is, except for she doesn't, she doesn't come off as a social outcast either, so I... Uh, I really like the characterization of the two girls. Not these walls are made out of steel. Used to be a fire lock. <clears throat> Superman can see through steel. <clears throat> nope, it's one thing you cannot see through. Also, she has the amazing line of... of, of That's lead, you nerd. <laughs> lead? Yeah. <laughs> Superman, Superman can't see through, can see through steel, you nerd. Yeah, 
I mean, Superman can see through steel like it wasn't there even. How come you don't know about this comic book character, nerd? What are you, a nerd? The, 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 I, hold on, sorry. I, I was just, I forgot to mention another amazing tidbit about Night of the Comet and also relating it to uh, what we're doing in other episodes. The screenplay, the story, the story for um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was by Stuart Gordon of Reanimator fame and Brian Yuzna of Society fame. And the sequel, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, was written by those two in combination with Tom Everhart. That's right. I always knew there was something awesome about those movies. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. No, uh, we also have uh, Toby's uh, fan fanboy crush, uh, Mary Warnoff, as the leader of a group of scientists that kind of gets... A little bit awkwardly uh, wedged into the story a little bit and then kind of takes over in the last third, but uh, we have... Yeah, not terribly well inserted. No. Uh, um, I was going to talk about that later, but I did want to mention specifically that they had a, uh, they have a Death Race 2000 poster at the movie theater. So this movie's Oh, pretty- they also have a, a poster for a movie called Red Dust. Yeah, Which a movie called Red Dust too. and The Wild One, I believe. And he mentions it came from outer space in the yep. theater. All kinds of classic movie homages that are pertinent to the, the, the plot of the movie. Uh, the remake question, which is whether you'd like this movie to be remade at all. Now, you can take it outside the context of like what Hollywood would do with it now. Is there is there enough things that you would change around this movie that you'd want to redo it? No, because it's so no. beautifully set in the 80s. All the characters, uh, the way that they act are so 80s. The way that they react to the comment where they have everyone, you know, standing up, signing up, oh, yeah, it's great. You know, the fact, you know, the, the arcade thing, being in the theater, I think it's so ingrained in the 80s that if you take it out of it, it's not going to have the same effect. And the Valley Gold type characters, even though they do break the stereotype, having them as the heroines, having them uh, be girls, but at the same time be tough, but not in the underworld leather coat and hunt people down. No, it's like in a realistic one in her. Her younger sister throws shoes. That's just what she has. So she's trying, but she's not as good. I, the fact that these characters just couldn't exist in, in a, a realm today without them being overly sexualized. Whereas in this movie, they have sexual feelings. They're interested in, in boys, but they're really not sexualized. They're not like bending over and showing. I mean, there's very few just just um, uh, you know fanboy moments. For the most part, they're very clothed. They're very tough. They're not boggled. It's and then I, I don't think that it could ever be done. There are a couple shots that kind of like linger a little bit on Kelly Marani's gams, but it's not like you super super. That. Personal. No, I no, I know. <laughs> but um, but like you know, it's it's not a feeling of like these characters are objects. It's just like you know they're fun characters. It's true. I don't think they would be if you made the movie today. I don't think the characters would be as interesting. I think they would get. Blandified, if you will. I don't know how. They would, they would either get blandified, or they would they would do the other thing that Hollywood likes to do, which is just ramp them up. Like in you know in the Star Trek remake, where everybody is a super genius, and instead of walking around the ship, they run around the ship, and instead of yeah, like yeah, yeah. A, a, a low angle shot, it's a super low angle shot, and it whips around, and there's light flooding into the lens, and it's you know it's all just giant. Yeah. And so, you know, their dad, what did they refer to their dad as being like, he's a, he's a Navy SEAL or he's in the Marines or yeah. something, yeah. some, some sort of tough badass. They would take that up to the nines and they would just, I don't know. 
That's it's true. I, I actually know it. I don't trust Hollywood to do to, to do anything right, actually. So I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't think any of us trust Hollywood to do anything right. I guess it was more more if we would want to do something. I mean, I have a few problems with the structure of the movie, like how it goes chrono you know. Uh, I had much less of it the second time around. I just like the movie a lot more the second time around. Me too. Uh, I got the same thing. Yeah, yeah. just a lot more. Um, I no, didn't know I, though. I, I didn't realize just how great the writing is. Like all yeah. the lines are just kit after kit after kit. They're all great. The dialogue's actually crackalacking the whole time. The whole yeah. time. I, I don't know. I don't know what I was doing the first time. I, I thought that we ran too long the first time and. Uh, I didn't like the stuff with scientists very much the first time. This time I was pretty down with it. And, and what you're talking about with the characters, um, there's a specific scene where Hector, who's the other, who's the male trucker who's alive after the comet hits, says, I'm going to go back to San Diego and check if my family's still alive. And then openly acknowledges, I know they're probably still dead, but I'm not just going to not check. And he goes back to his house and he goes in, he, they're all dead and he knows that. And he just, he kind of accepts it quietly and he's quietly putting pictures of his family into a garbage bag. So he can take it with him, so he can always have him, because he's going to leave. He's going to go back up to L.A. to these girls who he knows are still alive. And that's really, it's really genuinely sad. And then there's a zombie kid outside of his door, and I actually thought it was brilliant. Uh, I don't know. I couldn't even remember from the first time I watched it. The, he's like, oh, you know, you shouldn't come in here, and that's a kid. And he's like, ah, oh, crap, I don't want to shoot a kid. And then he, like, the intro of Walking Dead TV series is the guy shooting a little girl to let you know this show is serious about zombies and uh, unlike that and even like 20 days later uh he does not want to kill the kid and he's also not an idiot he doesn't want to get bitten and or get infected or whatever get killed so he just runs around the house and has a funny line about you're lucky i like kids so much and then decides well i really don't want i'm not gonna shoot this guy so he jumps out his own window with the garbage bag full of his family photos runs out to his car and drives away so he doesn't have to do either he doesn't then he doesn't fall uh for either movie cliche and that's uh, really, yeah. really, really cool. I imagine today it would like you'd see it from like the backside of the zombie kid's head, like smoldering bullet wound. The kid <laughs> falls on a screen, and then it's him facing the camera with the gun, shaking in his hand as he sweats and breathes heavily over what he's done. I, I, I want to know who the real zombies are. There would be a follow-up scene. Yeah, I want to point out Ben. We have a follow-up scene where he quick. talks to someone else about how guilty he feels about that, and then later on, someone yeah. else says you can stop feeling guilty now to instruct the audience the entire time. What were you saying, Orm? I was going to say one thing that, that I want to point out before we get to it. Uh, for a this is the, you get the zombie movie. There are very few zombies in the zombie movie. I think there's three, which I actually don't like. And they're not even really zombies. They talk. They're, yeah. They, they they have plans. They hold guns. They they have a firefight in a mall. They, uh, you know, they're like, <laughs> that's true. They're um, in a gang. Good quote about it. Uh, Hector is talking about how he was with some chick on his way into the city, and uh, he's like, "I found some guy, and he was getting a dead cat." Uh, Sam's like, "A dead cat?" And he's like, "Semi dead." Which is way gross and way horror. The movie does a really good job of giving you that feeling without having to have hordes and hordes of zombies everywhere. It's a, it's actually a pretty darn good mood movie. They they were going for comic book colors, and you can really tell like L.A. is completely washed out in orange. Afterwards. Yeah, they did the, they did a cool effect with uh, making the entire sky red. Um, they yeah. put a lot of good colors in that uh, radio station with the. Uh, the neon lights everywhere. There's just these like neon light tubes all over the place, and these like diagonal laser like 
zigzag patterns are doo, 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 it's the 80s everything's lasers and it just basically looks like a like a photo backdrop for like a for like a senior picture and then there's and then there's the amazing underground bunker that's lit like a bella lugosi movie and there's like boiling beakers and stuff everywhere it's great so, yeah i wanted to say one thing about the zombies like i i like how there aren't that many zombies how um I prefer the nobody's alive feel to the constant tension anywhere you look, someone is going to bite you and then you'll be a zombie too. I, I like how more it's, it's an infrequent threat. Well, the isolation is, a, is an interesting uh, element. It's, it's, it's more like the Omega Man than it is like a yeah. zombie movie. Yeah. You know? Yep. It's more of an I Am Legend kind of story. Here's a question for you guys. I uh, There was one part where uh, the younger sister grabs the older sister and says, Why are you so weirded out? Oh, right, Rich. Why should I be weirded out? My sister, who swiped every guy I ever had my eye on, has now swiped the last guy in the whole freaked out world. And I'm pretty sure it was edited from Fucked Up World or something. And there is... <laughs> Yeah, there is a, there is one f bomb later when the uh, when the head of the gang goes. I'm not crazy. I just don't give a fuck. Which is awesome. But I was wondering, um, was the I wonder if the movie was originally rated R or was going to try for it. I, I didn't find any trivia, but uh, never mind that. Do you guys think sure. it, Do you guys think it'd be better if it had tried to be rated R? Um, it could have gone a little farther and been a little harsher. But at the same time, like, when I'm watching it, I'm not like, oh, I wish this was rated R. Yeah, yeah I like, never thought like, anything was weak sauce, so... Yeah. 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 It definitely feels like an uncompromised movie. Like, when the first time I watched it, it didn't even cross my mind that it might be PG-13. Like, I wasn't even thinking about the rating. I, th- I mean, when I'm watching movies of that era, the, it, I totally forget about the rating system. And yeah, me too. It does... It does yeah, it just doesn't occur to me when I'm thinking that. And, and you know that 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 uh, that one f bomb in the movie is so like kind of gratuitous in the, in a way that like in a way that all of the swearing in 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 Day of the Dead is just like really really intentional um, because they know that they're getting an R rating and so they they're just they're just they're just just having a heyday, just having a fucking heyday. And actually, originally got an X rating. See, so like that's the thing is they knew that they were going to get that, so they could just do that. And I think maybe they they were just seeing what they could get away with. It's it's something that's um, actually kind of nice about that era, and that not I, I know uh, specifically in the eighties and, and a lot more, and then it start, started being less in the nineties, where movies really boxed themselves into a rating of some sort. Like any movie, like Back to School with Ronnie Dangerfield feels kind of R-rated a lot of the times, and it got a PG-13 rating. There's a few switch back and forth. Like uh, Horror and I just watched uh, the original and the first sequel to Planet of the Apes, in which there are people that are stabbed, shot, there's blood places. They, they do swear on occasion and call each other sons of bitches, and they're all rated G. <laughs> no jokes in it. Like, oh, not really jokes. Like, I can't imagine like a G-rated movie without jokes at all. Yeah, you could do that. The, yeah. the Andromeda Strain, the uh, Michael Crichton book that got made into a movie, it's an okay movie. The movie's rated G, though. It's about nuclear fallout, all these people dying. But at the same time, I agree with the G rating. I think any kid can watch Planet of the Apes. I think any kid can watch The Andromeda Strain. Uh, so it was nice that movies didn't, like, specifically box themselves. Like, if you have a PG-rated comedy now, it has to feature just farts and people falling down and Kevin James being an idiot. And you can't... Yeah, it seems like movies back then, it's like... It falls in this category, not it is made to be in this category. Yeah. Uh, Getting back to the movie, Mm -hmm. I think there's a scene that we all want to talk about, and the the one that I think stole the whole movie, 
the mall scene with the stock boys rising up. Uh, a very weird scene. Do you think it stole the movie? I thought it stole the whole movie. Being I thought it, it, it made the movie very episodic, and I think the entire plot of the movie is extremely episodic, because they're at the radio station for a third of the movie, they're at the mall for a third of the movie, and then they're at the bunker for the last part. felt a lot, it felt kind of like a video game. But I do think, in my, in my opinion, actually, I disagree with you, Laura, I think the, I think the mall section with the mall guys actually is a bit too much of a tangent for my taste. Like, the film's building all this other stuff. And then it spends time on this other thing just suddenly. And it just I can't believe you guys. I can't believe you're such an asshole and wrong about so many things. This mall scene features uh, they get to go to a mall so you can see this fun montage of the girls. I love the montage. I mean, it's it's obvious just the girls just want to have fun, but it is them uh, (laughs) not trying to enjoy themselves. And and it's like, oh, the world is ended. No one's here. And there's really not that much zombies. What am I going to do for the rest of my life? And I go, oh, well, let's try this up. Just try to up. And then the fact that you have these stock boys uh, who, who, because of their crafty position, survived kind of for being partially shielded because they're all underground stocking. And, and so these stock boys, having survived, their grand scheme is to now run this mall. That's their big thing that they're going to do. And they're My highest creepy, aspiration in life. And they're creepy, and he has, he has these sort of uh, uh, you know, movie, movie quotes because he's, He's lame. He is lame, yeah, exactly. and now he's been giving a thing of power. And now he's just given the keys to the castle, and he gets. And, he has, and there's all these cool moments in there, like uh, she, you know, she takes one of the guys hostage, which is just the coolest thing. And he goes, "I can't have you taking someone hostage." And she's like, "What?" And he just shoots his own guy, just to show that. Yeah. He. I mean, the, I mean, the movie explains that these people are going to die. They're slowly progressing into dust. Uh, so, like I said, you know. You're crazy. I'm not crazy. I just don't give a fuck. I thought it was he was the most fun villain you could put in there. You, you had a quick, you know, you had a quick little thing where you know you fought them. You, you showed that they were tough, but you showed that they weren't invincible. Uh, and it was a, it was a nice thing to lead directly before the scientists. I I thought it, it it was the highlight of the movie. I thought it was the climax. I thought that was the most fun that I had in the movie. Hmm. He's definitely more of a, a human antagonist than the scientists, who are more of this like kind of, uh, I don't know, men in black shadow organization sort of thing. It's more of a just, you know, civilization trying to, like, keep, you know, propagating itself. The stock boys are more of just this wild card and this sort of anarchist flair, which kind of shows the two different sides of, well, speculation of what would happen. I agree with Toby that the movie does feel a little bit more episodic for it. I don't think it... And the, and the first... I don't care, though. You say episodic like it's bad. I don't care that it's episodic. This is a movie about the end of the world of Valley Girl. It doesn't need to have one big long. It, the movie is all about having fun, and I think the episodic thing works with it. I, I don't. I don't mind it. I'd say it's the only. It's the only real complaint I carry over from my first viewing of the movie. I dropped a lot of my complaints on on second viewing, which is weird because it doesn't seem like a movie that would be really good on second viewings, and it totally is. And I probably would watch it again in the future, even. But it's that movies, other movies that I know of that are just fun movies, and I'm you know of course thinking you know, of Carpenter movies because I'm a huge fanboy. I'll build up in kind of one direction, you know, if they are a little bit episodic, whereas this movie kind of like, I feel like it stops and starts again twice with the mall and the science. Now, both sequences are fun, and I really have to give the movie credit. It, its characters remain consistent throughout, and they're real characters throughout, uh, which is great, and better than I can say for a lot of, like, serious movies that Hollywood puts out. Um, so it's not a big complaint. Uh, something else I noticed about the movie I really appreciated was uh, how lighthearted it is. But uh, it is about the end of the world. Everyone's dead, and the characters talk about how sad they are. But but at no point does it feel the need to linger in it or like just like wallow in the muck. 
Uh, so yeah, it's, it's not like downpour on you. You must know how tragic everything is all the time. But it also, no, it never, yeah, it, it never really gets overly maudlin about anything. The best, in fact, that's one of my favorite parts is when uh, the younger sister, uh, Kelly Maroney, is, uh, you know, being told in the morning that, that everybody's been vaporized. You know, her, her sister's screaming at her, and then she just shuts the door, goes back inside, starts making cereal, and just, yeah. like, just, like, can't, like, even deal with it. Great moment. Great moment. So subtle. So just, like, so what a kid would do, like, a 16-year-old girl would just be like, I can't. I'm going to go make cereal. <laughs> what I like is that, like, it isn't overly modeling and it also isn't overly funny. Like, it feels like it really is just right. Like, the movie isn't a self-parody or anything. No. You, like... You, it isn't making fun of itself. Like you the can characters, totally see the characters saying yeah. these things. The characters are, are real characters, and like when bad things happen to them, it feels real. Like in the beginning, I'm thinking specifically about the opening scene where you're introduced to Kelly Marie's character, and like she has that fight with her with her mom, and her mom punches her and knocks her over, and like that's a serious moment. The movie isn't, but the movie like grabs that and it has that, but it also has all these great quips, and it just like none of it feels out of place. Well, yeah, even with that part where she gets punched in the mouth. The line that leads up to that is... Now, going to join the party? Join the party for what, Doris? So I can watch Chuck from across the street stick his hands down your pants? I think that's something Daddy should know. Chuck's a nice guy. He's certainly nice to be with while Daddy's down in Banana Land. You were born with an asshole, Doris. You don't need Chuck. <laughs> you get smacked in the oh, face. Yeah, so Chuck. good. She's, so I wish good. she was in more movies. The, the no, she's great. great. In this oh, yeah. Because, like, after that, when Reggie first comes home, she's got that whole spiel about how, ah, and I have to be careful of my teeth because you know what Dad said about our dental plan or whatever. And just... <laughs> it's not, yeah, it doesn't carry cosmetics. It's, yeah. Uh, this movie's uh, way better for not being meta or so, and or self-aware. It's it's oddly sincere. Yeah. It is sincere, but it also, it never takes itself too seriously at any point. And, like, you know, the, the, the dialogue is is goofy and is... Is, is fun and lighthearted without being uh, overly, you know, cute and amused with itself, like <clears throat> Juno. So, in the film, uh, during during most of the entire movie, you see little bits of these scientists dressed like the Dharma Initiative from Lost, and they're wearing the, the, the... They basically are. They've got the jumpsuits with the logo on them, and they're underground, and they're doing all this stuff, and you're not really sure... Um, they're just doing sciencey stuff, just creepy sciencey stuff, because science should be feared. At some point, they come out, and we believe that they're going to be uh, benevolent and aid the girls, but really what they want to do is kill them, because yeah. they believe that they're infected with whatever the comet yeah. did everybody, yeah. and they're just going to kill them in order to survive themselves. But basically, it's they're like this uh, collective of geniuses, I guess, who knew the comet was going to kill everybody and cloistered themselves underground, and, but they left the air vents open, whoops, and now they're infected too. And so they're trying to get all the survivors together so they can drain their blood to make a serum so they don't turn into zombies or dust. And you know what? I actually, Mary Warnoff plays the, the moral one amongst them. You know what? Yeah. I actually think she gets a little underused in the movie because we, we've really loved yeah. her in other movies she's been in. Uh, she's 
for the audience that hasn't listened to maybe some of the other episodes, she's in uh, Death Race 2000. She has a big part she's really good in. She's in oh, Ying- yeah, yeah, Calamity Jane. Yeah, she's in Ying Raul as one of the main uh, cannibals slash uptight uh, couples. And she makes a cameo in Chopping Mall. So she's been she's been around a lot of television and television-y type stuff. And I just want to add one thing about Eating Raul. Because the guy who plays Hector is also in Eating Raul. But more importantly, the oh, guy who plays him. Hector is Jacote on Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what I, you know, Mary Warnock is underused, mainly because, like, the the twist with her is great, how at first you think she's the evil one, and then it flips that around. And the bummer is that once you, once it flips around, she's already dead. Like, she's yeah. gone. I, I wish she was around for the last act. I wish she, I almost wish that she was so moral she could have joined them. And I like how brave the movie's being by making her, uh... Well, she's infected too, so it's like borderline suicidal. Uh, that she, you know, she just kind of wants to end it. And but she's out of the picture for the third act when we're in the bunker. I would love to see her around the bunker, uh, hampering her fellow scientists and getting away with them. And I, you know, I don't know something. On the plus side, she does die with a sexy sax solo. Oh. <laughs> wow! The scientists they also um, they do bring in uh, two kids. They're all survivors. Yeah. Uh, this this boy with a football and this this little Asian girl over here is just so funny. Uh, and they're 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 adorable. Kids need props. They do need props. <laughs> we uh, need to convey to the audience that they are in fact kids who play with toys. I liked it. I liked it. I was okay with that. With the scientists, they were clearly the bad guys and the villains in it. Yeah. What I pre- what I do appreciate them is they did like like Brad was explaining earlier. There's a contrast. You know, the mall boys were this is all they wanted. They're sort of going out with a bang, and that's it. The scientists, they're being dicks, but you understood what they were doing. They were trying to save their entire compound by making the serum. They did it in the wrong ways. They're trying to harvest people. They lie to people. But there was a really tangible thing that they were going. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's like, it's, you know, it's, it's the protagonist versus two very different antagonists who represent different things about humanity, you know, like a, like a Batman film. You gotta be two bad guys for Batman. <laughs> Good on it. To note something about the kids is that whenever kids are in a movie, I'm a little hesitant. It makes me uneasy, kind of like monkeys. Like, if you have a monkey in a movie, I'm like, oh, this is going somewhere I like. But Oh, boy. He's going to smoke a pipe and wear a tie. <laughs> oh, this kid's going to, like, swear and kick someone in the balls. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, but, no, fortunately, the kids are, like, very minor. You know, they're just a little icing on the cake. Some sprinkles, maybe. Jimmy's. Uh, it is trying to drive the point home how evil the scientists are. Yeah, exactly. No, so I think they're just a tool, and they don't the, do anything detrimental. And, and the kids are yeah. glad about. Yeah, the kids are frightened the whole time too, which is great because that's how kids would react to that. You know, get in an underground lab, getting weird shots, and then people shooting at each other, and yeah, and their family's dead. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the kids, I agree. I agree with them all being a tool. That, that that's really what they were, but. The ending that they use with the kids, I think, is so choice that oh, I don't even yes. care. The final, the final closing, you know, the bookend on this, you know, they had the big explosion. They kill the scientists. They get away, which any movie could have ended on, but they had this really, this really nice, uh, <clears throat> endearing ending uh, where the main uh, Reggie Hector, uh, Hector, Hector, Hector uh, are basically the surrogate family for all these kids. And they're really playing up the mom and dad while she's taking pictures and making them dress up. Yeah. Making them stop at stoplights. And it's just like a really nice thing. Like, it, it's pretty much implied that the zombies are pretty much gone. They've all withered away. So now it's just them following the rules. Uh, yeah. And then trying to 
create some sort of normalcy. A couple yeah. other points I wanted to make about, uh, well, actually, I just want to say I really like the setting because I'm, I'm continuing to start, you know, being kind of anti anything set in L.A. and New York just because they're so overdone. There's so few movies that aren't set in places where most major movie production studios are. But this movie's set in L.A. and does a really good job of adding, like, specific L.A. flavor. Talking about going down to San Diego and, like, the military base between the two. Well, they shoot in the beginning of the movie. They shot uh, at the El Rey, which is a famous theater in Los Angeles. And, you know, she's just working there. It's just her, her, like, crappy after-school job. So if you're, if you're going to set something in one of those cities, do it well. Uh, heat, yeah, heat yeah. make it in the city. Don't yeah. make it in some vague place that's like, oh, it's probably L.A. because there's palm trees. Yeah, he does L.A. well. And like Once Upon a Time in America does New York well. So you can do it well. This movie had a limited budget and took the time and got it done right. Um, so hats off. Uh, and the other thing was, does anyone understand the line? They go through them freeways like turkey crap to a tin horn. No, no. I don't get it. I was trying to figure it out. <laughs> Slow it down. <laughs> yeah, I was like, all right, turkey shit. Did you say her tin horn? Okay, tin horn. Got it, got it. Got the original it. title of the movie was Teenage Mutant Horror Comet, Comet Zombies, which is what she says uh, when she's at the race. Like, I'll be taking requests from all you teenage Comet Zombies. On uh, the radio station, which is better. I'm gonna that is a way better title. I disagree. I think it's a great title. I don't think it's a great title for this movie. No. When I hear that title, I think it's wacky. I think of trauma. I think of teenage catgirls and heat. Like I think of that sort of thing. Whereas yeah, Night of the Comet is is an interesting sort of oh Night of the Comet, uh, where the comet actually plays very little into it. It's, oh yeah, this is sort of. I, I think it's, it's a fun enough title, uh, but it, it doesn't it doesn't make me think that this this movie's going to be whack. It doesn't it doesn't pigeonhole it. Whereas I think uh, teenage comet zombies, you know, whatever, um, really makes me think like it's a trauma film. Like it's yeah, exactly. really trying to be over the top. I'll give you I guess that. that's true. It's also, it does, I, I will give you that. It, Night of the Comet does, I suppose, um, with with you know. Yeah, it came from outer space. It came from outer space. Yeah, it sounds like a it sounds like a generic classic Hollywood sci-fi movie. Okay, and it's also the uh, another movie in the mid '80s based around Haley's Comet returning. The other one being uh, Life Force by Toby Hooper, who directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Except for uh, we're not going to do a terror version of Life Force because it sucks, which is too bad. Yeah, I couldn't get through it. it, it we're going to put it on I the. Tried. We're, we're going to have a section on the website. It's going to be on the uh, movies not to watch section. Which it's sucks. amazing how hard to watch that movie is, um, considering how many boobs are in it. It really is. Yeah. There's boobs. There's Patrick. There's boobs. There's Patrick Stewart. It's based on a book called Space Vampires. It's directed by Toby Hooper. Like, I, never have I seen all the ingredients to something uh, look Just so delicious. Fail, so complete. So, what? top threes. Brad. What? Top threes. My top three are um, top three antagonists in the film that aren't raving, flesh-hungry zombies. Mm, go for it. So, number one uh, is the, uh, the, the, the cunt mother. Um, who is mean and punches her? Well, not the the the, the stepmother. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, she's not even their real mom. She just punches her stepchildren in the mouth, which is way out of line. I think if you're punching your own kids, your own flesh and blood, then maybe. But if it's you know, it's like going over to somebody else's house and and breaking their television. It's just really not okay. <laughs> Second would be the stock boys at the mall. Um, who are infected and are becoming zombies, but they act nothing like zombies. They're just thugs with 
some liquid latex makeup on their face. And they're essentially, you know, not zombified. And third would, of course, be the uh, the Dharma Initiative scientists, you know, aren't zombies at all and are trying desperately not to be. Maddie? Okay, uh, my top three is my top three most glib lines of the film. Uh, and uh, number three is at the very end when that guy comes up in the car and is like, and Kelly, Kelly Maroney's like, yeah, all right, well, just be back by midnight, okay? Midnight? Our civilization is on us, okay? And he's like, oh, yeah. Description, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Number two is, like, right after Reggie has sex with that lumberjack projectionist guy. I'm going to go over there on the bike. Oh, jeez. Don't I get an egg with muffin or anything? Because previously they had discussed getting $50 for making it with him. Uh, and my top most glib quote is when uh, Reggie's on the phone with her horrible stepmother, and it's like, I'm like 18, you know? <laughs> uh, Toby? I do not have a top three coming out. Horrible? Uh, okay, well, I have my top three concerns at the end of the world that had nothing to do with the end of the world. Uh, and so the first, uh, number three, uh, would be uh, the movie projectionist uh, worried about getting his bootleg video back. Uh, now, of course, he did not know it was the end of the world, uh, but the end of the world had happened, uh, and he was concerned about getting that bootleg video back uh, before his boss got him in trouble. Yeah. Uh, number two uh, was uh, her not taking down notes for the phone call, and it turned into this surprisingly long, like, 40-second argument of her not writing down notes uh, for the phone call but where another survivor should be. And although it's important to know where other survivors are, uh, she was getting really defensive about the fact of she's not the phone company. She didn't take messages. <laughs> and uh, the number one concern that has nothing to do with the end of the world but is still a problem is uh, keeping the bunny's ears up during the final family photo. The bunny needs to be in this picture too, so okay, that's great. Can I take this jacket off? It is. No, you can't. I just want to take another picture, all right? Oh, please? No. Now, you just hold on to that. Stay there. Okay, perfect. Oh, brother. Uh, tell me what you got. I already said I don't have one. You already did that, Ben, you horse's ass. You said you had one coming up. <laughs> Sorry, I expect things from you. Anyway, I don't have a top three either. Tell me what is not horrid stuff. Whoops. Uh, wait, I have a top three that'll make up for the black top three. Top three babes. Uh, number three, Kelly Brown. <laughs> Number two, Reggie. Number one, Mary Morna. You're wrong. Number one is nothing. It's only cut out. I didn't get that. Kelly Maroney. Oh, man. <laughs> well, look what the cat Number one is Kelly Maroney. Number three. Huh. 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 Uh, star ratings for everybody. I'm going to go ahead oh, yeah. and give mine. And I'll, uh, I, I originally gave this movie three. And I'm going to up it all the way to four. It's a lot of fun. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'd be willing to watch this a third time. It's, you know, not right away. But if someone hadn't seen it or something, I'd watch it again. And the pacing is so much better than I remembered. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Horrum? I didn't even go high. I'm going to go all the way to four and a half. That may seem like I'm being generous. I know. You guys back off. But it's my rating, so screw you guys. <laughs> I didn't go all the way to four and a half. In the sense of, I know that it's not a perfect movie. But mm-hmm. the movie was, I had fun through the whole way through it. I didn't get bored. It knew what it was doing. It had good characterization, good lines. And I could totally watch it again with people. This is a movie that I do want to tell people to watch. Like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, rewatch this. Uh, so for, for all the fun that I, I, I got out of it, 
Uh, and, you know, and telling other people, oh, yeah, and for, you know, as little a commitment is to watch it, you know, good pacing, four and a half. Yeah. Brad? All right. Um, I will give it a four. I'll give it a solid four. Not going to go down in history as one of my favorite movies of all time, but damn good. Solid, unforgettable, great movie. Yeah, uh, it's, got, it's got it's got hot babes. It's got not one but two, but arguably three hot babes. For okay, sure. okay, for sure. Uh, it's got it's got the end of the world. It's got arcade games in it. It's got uh, I mean, what more could you want? Total commentary. It's got, it's got creepy underground scientists. He's got Jacoby from All Star Wars. The only thing I could want more from it, from the other movies we watched, is hating Reagan more. But you know what? Not every movie we need to watch hate, needs to hate Reagan. Uh, I'll also give it a four. Uh, I think it's, yeah, again, it's not one of my favorites, but it's terrific. And it's also, it's just like, it's so distinctive. It's unlike any other movie I can think of, including other movies with these same people in them that we've already covered on television. It's much more moody. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really got its own thing, and it's really special in that regard. Uh, I'm going to go with 4, 4.5. I had it 4 before, but seeing it again, it's just like, just the dialogue alone is so great. It is. Like, it's, constant, it's constantly on. Mm-hmm. Like, especially Sam and Reggie are just always top-tier dialogue, and I just, it's so much fun that I don't think I can give it any less. Yep. All right, well, uh... Uh, top, you know, hats off all around, and we all seem to think it's better on second viewing. So watch it, watch it again, have fun. Uh, it's not. Uh, you want to play that with girls just want to have fun? Oh yeah, that's what we're uh, that's what we're tuning out to. To play us out. To play us out. Some girls just want to have fun. <laughs>